0: that strategically and effectively sends and releases people from this place to take the gospel and plant churches and have an impact on our own city actually but also in other cities within the UK and and I believe as well to the ends of the earth I believe that's the parameters if you like of what God's called us to Uh, we've had through the years involvement in some nations I believe that's you know, going to continue and that God will in time perhaps even speak to some here this morning about the fact that he's called them to be someone who goes even to another nation. But it may not be as long distance as that. It may simply be an issue of hearing God for yourself to cross the street in the cause of taking God's gospel to those who have not yet heard it. So that's the theme that we're, we're going to be looking at this morning and it's some um, if you know me, you know, it's a theme that's obviously very close to my heart. We've got some experience of, um, as a family, being sent. Um, we uh, were, became part of the church in the early 90s when the church used to meet in Stanmore. And in 1996, as a family, um, having heard God's call and God speaking to us about India specifically and the Himalayas, we um, were sent from the church uh, to India, where we lived for five years, and uh, and then from that church in India, in the northeast of India, we were then uh, sent from there to Nepal to begin a fresh work in Nepal. So we've got something of a history and an experience of what it means to be sent, and um, this is something that we're living with, obviously, very, very much at the moment. Uh, for those that are not aware of, of what we're uh, planning to do, we are in the midst of... Drawing together a team with a view to planting a new church in Eastleigh, which is not as far as India, uh, but um, it's ten miles down the motorway. And um, our heart and desire and, and sense of what God's saying is that He wants a, you know, a, a, a local church planted there uh, that will reach out to the catchment around that Junction 13 area and um, and build a church that reflects the. You know, the diversity that's there in the town. So this is something very much that I'm living with at the moment. And so apologies if I refer, as I probably will do, to Junction 13. That's what I mean. And um, it's, uh, it's just something that we're obviously living with. And it's very real to us at the moment. So we're going to look at Acts 13. We're going to read verse 1 to verse 4. And we're going to read about this church that not only had an impact on its own city, but on the regions beyond it and actually to the ends of the earth. So we're going to pick up, pick up the, uh, the story of the church in Antioch. Acts 13 verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. Then in verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And then as the story goes on, we read of how Paul... Uh, embarks on this, what's been called his first missionary journey, which was primarily focused on sharing the gospel and planting churches in the region of Galatia. Someone has said that the church in Antioch was the church that turned the world upside down. And as you read through the story of Acts from this point on, that's exactly the impact that this momentous decision to set aside these two individuals to go and plant churches into an unreached region of the world had. They literally turned the world upside down. But it began in this experience and event of hearing from the Spirit and setting apart Saul and Barnabas to do the work that God had called them to. I want to start by looking this morning at the whole issue of how God is ascending god we 're not going to look first and foremost at what happened here in the life of the church. I want us to reflect together on the reality that God himself intrinsically is a sending God because I believe it 's important if We are going to reflect and express this in our own community life together as a church, that we are firmly and clearly rooted in the reality that all sending begins in the community of God Himself. He is by nature a God who sends. And Jesus, through coming and living in Galilee and and saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, reflected something of this essential nature of who God is. When we talk about sending, we're talking about something that is first and foremost something in the very nature of God himself. Something that he models for us in a supreme way. Before there was any sending in the context of the local church. There was God himself acting through the sending of his own son. You see, usually when we use the word mission, which is a, an English translation of a Latin word that means literally sent, we think, don't we, of something that we do as the church. We think of the activity of Christians. And so we... Talk about putting on a mission or going on mission. We may speak of an inner city mission. We may speak even of a mission department within the church. And I don't know what springs into your mind and your imagination, but often we'll think of strange, eccentric individuals who are a bit fringy and show up with slideshows and a map at the back of the church hall that pins are, are there and there are photos. We may think of excruciating experiences of knocking on doors. You've got a few of those memories stored away, I'm sure you have. We may think of excruciating experiences of standing on the high street with a sketchboard and a pot of paint and some, you know, clever little word plays on a sheet. Usually what we think of when we think of the word mission is something that we do, We also think of something that's usually, in our minds, just peripheral. It's just on the fringe. It's on the extreme edge of church life. And historically, of course, that's where mission has been. In fact, it has often also been pushed even beyond the parameters of church life and local church into the realm of parachurch. What I want us to see this morning is that mission is central to who God himself is and therefore should be central to who we ourselves are as his community on the earth. A church worth talking about is a church that's discovered, like Antioch had, that mission is is integral to who God is. It's his prerogative. It's his activity. It's what he does Sending is essentially a divine activity. The word mission actually was never used to describe something the church did until about the 16th century. It was used to describe something of how God in the Godhead worked. It was used to describe something of the economy of God himself, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It describes something of the mechanics of how God himself as a community worked. And so when we think of mission, we're talking about something that is essentially divine. When we read through the scriptures, we come face to face with a God of mission, a God who sends. John Stott said that what we call mission is of the very essence of the being of God. It tells us what kind of God He is. It is an expression of who He is. It is His business primarily and His prerogative. It is an expression of His intrinsic nature of love and mercy in response to a humanity that needs saving and reaching and rescuing. And so... The story of Scripture is that the Father sends the Son, and the Son and the Father then send the Spirit. Let's just look at a few Scriptures. John 5:23: Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. John 17:8. John 17, which um, records that prayer of Jesus to the Father, is full of references. To the fact that God is himself a God who sends. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. It's the activity of God. Galatians 4 verse 4 to 6. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And then one final scripture, 1 John 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. Just reflect a little on that last verse. Sending is a manifestation of the essential nature of God. Scripture says, God is love. And the activity of sending is a demonstration and a declaration of who He Himself is in His being. You see, it wasn't a necessity that was imposed on a reluctant divine being. It wasn't an inconvenience for God to have to send His Son. It was a a reflex of His essential, loving, kind, merciful nature. And out of that free, independent, loving nature, God sent His Son. And the Son and the Father sent the Holy Spirit. God is, somebody said, a fountain of sending love. And all sending and all mission begins here. It's not rooted in the need of humanity. It's not rooted in the job description of the church. It's rooted in the nature of God himself. You see, before the church existed, or before the world was mapped out, before mission societies were formed, before conferences were planned, before a global strategy was concocted, God himself, in his very nature, was in the business of sending. He was acting and extending himself with sendings that changed all of history. To be a sending church for us is to understand and live in the light of that revelation. To be caught up with the revelation that God is the origin of all mission and that He has given supremely through the sending and releasing of His own Son and now in these days through the sending of the Holy Spirit. If you're a visitor this morning or maybe you're not a Christian, that in a a nutshell is is the message. God loves you in such an extreme way that he has sent his son to live as a human being and to die on the cross to deal with everything that prevents you from knowing him. Right at the center of our salvation is a sending and a sent one. And the arrival, life, death and resurrection of Jesus is nothing more than a dramatic story of ascending. It's ascending, of course, that literally split history in two. It's ascending that introduced a kingdom that will ultimately outlast every other kingdom. And all of history hinges on that act of sending. The mission society of the Godhead, if you like, Put in, plan, a, a put in motion a plan to redeem all of humanity and the crucial moment and event to secure that salvation was the sending of His own Son, Jesus. Jesus leaves the familiar, blissful culture of heaven and He plunges into the hostility and harshness of the human experience. Jesus lays aside the infinite, boundless majesty and privileges of of the Godhead. And he takes upon himself the genetic material of mankind. Becomes a flimsy, microscopic cluster of cells in the womb of a teenager. That's ascending. That's descending. That's God's act. That's what God does. And the fact is that without sending, there is no salvation. Sending and being sent are crucial to salvation. You see, if there was no initiative on the part of the Father, and if there was no willingness on the part of the Son to be sent, then the whole of humanity would be utterly lost. You and I would be dead in our sins. We would be lost The good news is that there's been a sending, that there's one that was willing to be sent and that he came to experience our humanity and to pay the price for us. And so as we preoccupy ourselves with this, we then begin to understand that this is integral to what it means to reflect who God is. Doesn't mean that we all suddenly disappear to the third world, but I believe it does mean that we will increasingly emulate God by being a community that expresses who He is, by sending and releasing people ourselves as He, by the Spirit, prompts us. We become a community that doesn't withdraw from the world around us into a, a safe, cozy subculture, but we become a sending and a sent community. A community that intentionally goes out to enter the world and experience of others, to build bridges with them and to engage with them and to communicate with them this wonderful gospel of the God who sent His Son for them. It means we become a sent and ascending people. We become an Antioch-style church community. You see, sending is not an inconvenience. It's not a setback. It is a high calling and privilege for us. And being sent is not something we wrestle with and resist and struggle with. It's something we cheerfully embrace because we understand this is something of who God himself is. Somebody said at a conference I went to when I was beginning to feel God speaking about moving overseas to work in mission that if God calls you to be a missionary don't stoop to be a king. Well the reality is every one of us whether we live the rest of our lives in the home that we currently occupy are called to be missionaries. We're sent ones. It's a high calling and a high privilege. So that's the sending God. I want us to look now at what it means to be a sending church. You see the church in Antioch Modelled this themselves in their own situation. They were ascending community. It was one of their great distinctives. And I think as you read through the book of Acts and the story and the narrative, there's a very interesting contrast between Jerusalem and Antioch that emerges. Jerusalem had some great strengths. They were very sound in doctrine. They had obviously the apostles face to face, publicly teaching them, laying that foundation of, uh, you know, apostolic doctrine. They had Pentecost. They had the experience of the empowering of the Holy Spirit and all the gifts that came with that. They were very effective in their outreach to the city that they lived in. They had a radical expression of community life that went to the extreme of selling land and possessions and sharing with one another, making sure there was no needy people among them. They had an expression of care to the poor. But it seems that somehow they failed to strategically engage with the regions beyond the walls of their own city. In fact, as you read through the narrative, it was only when persecution came that the church in Jerusalem was scattered... And churches then began to be planted in other regions. They were, if you like, like limpets on a rock. They were hard to shift. I don't know if you've ever been uh, you know, on the sh- seashore trying to get limpets off a rock. They don't move very easily. They are difficult to budge. <laughs> well, that's what the church was like in Jerusalem. They loved the Word and they loved the Spirit, but they were stuck fast to where they were. And God comes, and through his sovereign oversight of the persecution that they experienced, we read that the church was scattered, and they began to plant in other places. Antioch, however, within just a few years of being planted, was strategically and sacrificially sending people to the ends of the earth. It was a very different story. And as Acts unfolds, Antioch begins to take centre stage in terms of the hub of God's mission and purpose within the world of their day. So what was it about this church that made it effective at sending? First of all, I think they lived out the, the Great Commission. The amazing thing is that it was the core of the church in Jerusalem who had actually physically heard with their own ears the words of Jesus, go and make disciples of all nations, but somehow got stuck in their mission to the city that they lived in. It was the generation of Christians in Antioch who actually took those words seriously. Jerusalem had the knowledge and the understanding and could recite the verses, but it was Antioch that actually began to live out the command and the commission of Jesus to go into all the world and reach all nations with the gospel. The church in Antioch, obviously, was founded on the work of pioneers. It began by people living out the Great Commission. It was in Antioch, as we read, that they first began to share the gospel with Greeks. They began to cross those cultural boundaries and share the gospel with ethnic groups who had not yet heard of who Jesus was. And as we read in Acts 13 about the leadership team, which just within a few years had emerged we find that it was made up of a whole diversity of different ethnic groups, actually. This was in their DNA, if you like. There were thoroughbred Jews that we read of here in the leadership team, alongside those from other Middle Eastern regions. There was a black man there as part of the team. And so right in the foundation of this church in Antioch was a conviction that the gospel was intended for other cultures, and that the gospel works in other cultures. To be an Antioch-style church means that we not only understand the Great Commission, but we live the Great Commission. Second thing about the church is that they realized that they were serving an ever-expanding kingdom. For Jerusalem, the boundaries of the city wall was their parish. But for Antioch, the world was their parish. Their expectation was that the kingdom was just how Jesus had described it it was a tiny mustard seed that would one day become the biggest of all trees in the garden, and it would stretch out its branches wide and broad. They took seriously what Jesus had said about being witnesses in Jerusalem. Now, the church in Jerusalem got that far, but they understood Jesus didn't end there. He said Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. They realized that they were part of an ever-expanding kingdom. And so they understood that the church was the instrument of this ever-expanding kingdom that would one day fill the whole earth. You see, for them, church wasn't a safe place to retreat to. And to find comfort in. But it was the means through which God was wanting to express and extend His outreaching nature to every corner of the earth. The church for them didn't exist to pander to their own personal needs, it existed to serve the purpose of God in all the earth. They understood that the church existed to serve the kingdom. And not vice versa. And so when God says, now set apart for me Saul and Barnabas. They didn't say, you must be joking. Saul, Barnabas? Come on, Saul's our star preacher. And everyone loves Barnabas. He's such an encourager. No, you can have Menaean, you can have Simeon, Lord. But please, not Saul and Barnabas. That's not what we read of. That's not what's reflected in the story. They said, yes. And they cheerfully laid their hands on these guys and they released them to the mission that God had called them to. If we're going to be a church worth talking about, an Antioch-style church, then it means we must, must, must understand that we exist for the cause of expanding God's mission to the ends of the earth. That's why we're here, isn't it? The church is a lovely community to be a part of and we do find many of our needs met for friendship and community and healing and encouragement. But the church doesn't ultimately exist for our own needs. It exists for the needs of those out there who are waking up at this time on a Sunday morning and have never heard about Jesus and are just going about their normal, everyday, godless existence. That's who we're here for. Bishop William Temple said, the church is the only society on earth that exists for the benefit of those that are not yet members of it. That's why we're here. And if we're going to be an Antioch-style church, that's got to be there in our DNA. That's how we think about church and what it means to be part of the community of God. And so sending and releasing is a part of that. That means that when we hear of John being released to serve the wider church, our response is not, oh no. That means we're not going to hear John so much on a Sunday. But, oh yes, that means we get to extend our influence That means we get to impact regions beyond Winchester. That means we get to participate in this great mission that God's called us to. We exist to serve the extension of God's kingdom. Another feature was that they were a flexible wineskin. I think this is one of the greatest strengths of Antioch. They cheerfully embraced the change and adjustment that this would imply. We've already seen... Um, as we've read in Acts 11, that when Agabus prophesies about a famine that's to come on the earth, that they somehow just spontaneously respond to that and release resources for the poor. We've already seen that, that kind of ability and capacity to hear from the Spirit and it seems almost in an instant to respond to what God's saying. There was a flexibility to their life together as a community. Well, that wasn't the last challenge that God brought across their paths. It wasn't that they ticked that box and they could now settle back into their settled ways. Because a year or so later, God comes and he says, Now set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. You know, that would have had some pretty major implications. I don't know if you can put yourself in their shoes hearing a word like that. It had major, major implications. There was major adjustment for Saul and Barnabas. There was a relational adjustment that they would have to make. They wouldn't be spending as much time with the friends that they'd got to know in Antioch. They would literally have to leave that city that they'd grown used to and I'm sure had grown to love. They would no longer be part of the wider leadership team that had emerged in Antioch and their roles within that wider team would now no longer be needed. They were sent out from that context. There were surely people that they would miss. There would have most probably been other practical changes. They wouldn't be living in the houses that they'd grown accustomed to their means of support would possibly have had to have changed as well. There was major readjustment for Saul and Barnabas, but there was also major readjustment for the church that they were sent out from. There would be some big gaps to be filled. I mean, you imagine Saul and Barnabas together at the same time leave. They're going to leave some massive gaps in the church in Antioch. There would have to be some role changes Others would have to be brought through to make up for their absence and to fill those gaps. Perhaps new people would have to be brought in from other contexts outside of Antioch. There was major readjustment. And what was the response of Antioch? What was the response of Paul and Barnabas? Well, they were a flexible wineskin. Paul and Barnabas didn't look at one another and say, you know, this is just going to be too much. It's going to involve too much change. It's going to be too difficult. This is just going to... Too much of a challenge. Let's just stay put here in Antioch. And neither did the church say, you know, we really don't think this is wise. I mean, this is going to really destabilise things here. I think we'll just hold on to them. No, that's not the response of the church in Antioch. You know, I guess they looked at one another and they said, you know, this is going to mean some big calls. This is going to mean major readjustment and some huge sacrifice. But you know, it is all worth it. God has spoken and we are going to be a flexible wineskin and respond to what the Spirit is saying. Lay our hands on these two guys and release them to the regions beyond. They were a flexible wineskin. They weren't trying to squeeze God into their five-year plan, but they were allowing God to set the agenda, God to set the pace. And they responded obediently, and they cheerfully released these guys to the work God had called them to. I want to encourage us. I believe we have a flexibility. I want to encourage us to continue to express a real flexibility to the prompting and leading of the Holy Spirit. We've seen some changes over the past couple of years particularly. We've laid our hands on David Thompson. He's gone to Chichester. John has been released to serve in a fresh way and with more time, the wider region. There will continue to be changes. They won't be the last people that leave and that we send. And so I want to encourage us to be a flexible wineskin. Let me ask you this morning, how flexible are you Are you willing to cheerfully send and release? Are you willing to absorb all the readjustments that that will mean perhaps for you personally? And are you willing to be released and to be sent with all the adjustment and the change that that implies? What if the Spirit were to say this morning, set apart for me dot dot dot. Just put your name there. What would your response be? Here am I. Send him. Or, yes, Lord. It's going to be tough. It's going to involve sacrifice and readjustment. But I know it is worth it. I'm going to respond to your prompting. One other thing about Antioch. They understood their role in God's plan of salvation, which is linked up with this, I believe. They caught hold of the privilege and obligation that they had as the key link in the chain of God's plan to save. Now, Romans 10, verse 13 and 15, if we can have that up on the screen, I want us to look at this and read through this. Romans 10, 13 to 15, Paul says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him on Him, in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe In him of whom they've never heard. It's a good question. A good question. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That's a good question. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It's another good question. As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. You see, salvation, for those who have not yet heard, begins with sending. Just consider for a few moments the impact that this sending had on the history of the church and the unfolding of God's mission. Massive impact. Paul's missionary journeys that began in this single event meant that churches were subsequently planted throughout the region of the then-known world, which themselves reached out to regions beyond. Massive impact from this flexible, responsive, cheerful, faith-filled decision to go with what God was saying and send them out. Consider for a moment the implications of them not being flexible. And not responding to what the Spirit was saying. No gospel to the region of Galatia, which is modern day Turkey. No gospel to Macedonia, which is modern day Greece. I think there's a case for saying there would have been no gospel to Europe. And guess what that means? No gospel to Great Britain. The implications of sending are massive Now, I know there's a mystery here. I know that God is sovereign. And yet we have to understand that a key part in reaching the world that we live in, in our generation, is the sending of people to reach those regions. We have to understand that we carry something of an awesome obligation and responsibility. But the preaching of the gospel and the planting of churches is and has always been God's method of reaching the nations. The devil knows that. That's why when people decide to plant churches they face sometimes hostility and difficulty and pressure. We saw something I think of that reflected in Jonah that we looked at earlier in the year and just how... Amazingly, in the mystery of God, that individual with all his hang-ups and problems was the key link in the chain. Well, you and I are a key link in the chain. Maybe a key link in the chain to the guy down your street who's not yet heard the Gospel. Maybe the key link in the chain to a new town or a new city experiencing a new expression of the church and hearing the Gospel. We must understand that we have a key role. I want to finish the last five minutes by just going through some features of effective sending. And I want to just go through something of a checklist, really, because I think there's some very practical things here that can help us. As we think about what it means to be a sending church, we want to do it in the best way, don't we? We want to be as effective as possible. We don't want it to be a random hit-and-miss thing. We want to be as effective as possible whenever we send people and release people to do that in as effective a way as possible. So let me give you some headlines really to effective sending. First of all, the question, is the Holy Spirit in this? This initiative came from the Spirit. It was most probably a prophetic utterance. The initiative didn't come out of the latest Christian paperback. It didn't come from the idea of a creative thinker. It came from the Spirit. God spoke and they laid their hands on them and they released them. In verse 4 it says, although the church had laid hands on them, that they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. So even that act of sending was the Holy Spirit. And so as we look to send and release people... Or as you look yourself to be sent and released, you need to be asking yourself this question. Is the Holy Spirit behind this? Now, it may not be as dramatic as it was here. In fact, I don't think Paul, as he went from city to city and town to town, had a dramatic vision of where the next place would be. He was just following, you know, something of a strategic plan and open to God adjusting him along the way. But we must ask the question, is the Holy Spirit behind this? Secondly, is this strategic in terms of the timing and approach? This was Spirit-led, but it was not random, and it was not hit and miss. And if you follow the journey from, Ant- from Antioch onto Cyprus and onto Galatia, you find that Paul has a very clear strategy, geographically, He goes to population centres that did not have local churches. In each place he looks to contextualise the Gospel in the most appropriate way and plant churches. It was strategic in terms of timing. If you know anything of the history of this time, you'll know that Rome had very, very helpfully built a massive network of roads right across the regions that Paul would travel in. You'll know that the Greek language by that stage had permeated most urban centres. And so there was a strategic sense that this was the time for the Gospel to go forward. In fact, that verse in Galatians that we read says, when the time had fully come, or when the time was just right, God sent His Son. And so we're asking ourselves in terms of timing an approach. Is this strategic? Is it the right time for this? Is it the right place? Thirdly, is this rooted in independence or is it rooted in partnership? This wasn't the work of a lone ranger. Just as Jesus had sent disciples out two by two, so here the Spirit sends Paul and he sends Barnabas. There was a team that was sent and there was a partnership between Saul and Barnabas. There was a partnership between them and the sending church that continued. The laying on of hands expressed that solidarity, if you like, and that partnership. It wasn't just a a nice pat on the back of Paul and Barnabas. It was an expression of togetherness and solidarity and identification. They were together in this, and so they laid hands on them and they sent them and released them. There was an endorsement of what God was saying. There was partnership and team. Another question, is this church based? They weren't sent out by a missionary society, but by a local church. And they weren't sent out just to win local converts and engage in social action somewhere, but they were sent out to facilitate the planting and the establishing of local churches in other regions. It was thoroughly church-based. Now, it should come as no surprise to us that that's what works best, because that's God's plan and method. As we think about Eastleigh and about the gospel going there, I am 100% convinced the best way to reach that town is through the planting of a local church. Now, we can do stuff that has an effect. We can run alphas, we can do crusades, we can put on missions. But the best way of reaching unreached places is through the planting of local churches. And so we have to ask the question, is this church-based? Another question, is there a healthy, ongoing dialogue? Is this accountable? This didn't happen in the context of a private prayer closet but in the context of a community hearing God together and I'm sure there was a weighing up of what God was saying there was a dialogue and an accountability that happened in fact they periodically returned to Antioch to be accountable and to give a report of what God was doing and so if you send and if you are sent accountability and dialogue are important If you feel God is sending you somewhere, let me encourage you. Begin a dialogue. Talk to someone. Talk to your community group leaders. Talk to the elders. Chat to those in leadership. Enter into dialogue. Another question to ask, is this a good fit? Saul and Barnabas weren't randomly picked out of the hat by the Holy Spirit. They were fitted and shaped and prepared to be the right people for this particular task. They have the right mix of gifts to get the job done. And so we have to ask ourselves, is this a good fit? Does this person have the capacity and the gifting that fits with the situation that they're being sent into? Just one or two more questions. Is this truly releasing? Verse 3, it talks about them releasing them. There was accountability, but there was a creative freedom and space that they were given to follow the leading of the Spirit as they took the Gospel to these regions beyond. And so we have to ask ourselves, is that happening? There were no strings attached. When they laid hands on them and they sent them, they were released. And they had the space and freedom and endorsement and support to get on with what God had called them to Is this truly releasing? And then one final one. Is this being done cheerfully? I don't know how you imagine the mood of the meeting here, but I think there was a lot of joy going on here. I think there was joy on the part of the church. They weren't kicking their heels and complaining. I think there was joy in Saul and Barnabas. They weren't just fed up with all the pastoral problems in Antioch and wanted an escape route from that situation Is this being done cheerfully is a question we have to ask because attitude is very important. We don't send and release people just because they're getting on our nerves and we want them out of the context. And we don't ask to be sent because we're fed up with the context and have something of a grumbling attitude. We lay hands and we do things cheerfully. So let me conclude then by drawing our attention back to where we started, you know, we love and serve a God who is a sending God. That's the basis on which we're here today, knowing the joy of relationship with Him because He made a decision to send His Son and Jesus Himself made a decision to be sent. There was a willing cooperation with what the Father wanted. To be a church worth talking about is to be just like God in that sense. It's to live out the Great Commission and it is to strategically and effectively send people as the Spirit prompts us. It's to serve an ever-expanding kingdom and realize the church doesn't exist for our own needs. It exists for the extension of God's purpose and plan. It's to be flexible. It's to absorb the adjustment and the change that is implied in sending and releasing. And it's to understand and live with that deep sense of obligation that in the sovereignty of God we have a key role to play in God's plan to save individuals and to reach places that have not yet heard the gospel. We're going to just draw things to a close there. I wonder if we could just close our eyes. And uh, I'd be very happy to pray for anyone who feels that that God has been speaking to them. It may be that there's something imminently in you. It may be that there's something further down the horizon, actually, that you're beginning to sense that there's going to come a time when hands are laid on you and you are sent. I wonder if we can all stand together. Let's just open our hearts to God. I'm going to pray and we'll bring things to a close there. And if you know that God's been speaking to you, let me just ask you right now to receive in faith from God and respond in your own way to what God's saying to you. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank You for that supreme example of sending that we have in Jesus. And we thank You that we're here on the basis of that. We thank You that You are a fountain of sending love. And we pray as a church community that we would be a fountain of sending love. Lord, we want to embrace your call to extend your kingdom. We want to absorb the adjustments that that implies. And right now I pray in this place for every individual and family that sense you speaking to them in a specific way, that you would release faith in their hearts for all that you've called them to do. Let there be healthy dialogue. Let there be a cheerful attitude. Let there be faith in what they're doing, Lord. Come on us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.